You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. We, we have a no pyro rule. We don't do pyro. <laughs> we did a. <laughs> Metallica not, I, has taught us. Is there, is there a story behind that? There must yeah. be a story here. <laughs> okay. Now, I like Nickelback. I think they make great records. I have nothing against them. But we did an outdoor show, in the, and Nickelback went on. It was us, Stone Temple Pilots, and Nickelback. Nickelback mm-hmm. went on in the middle of the afternoon. Sunny California days, 90 degrees out. And they've got the pyro going off, and it's, <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Oh my are they, gosh! Are they using pyro in the middle of the afternoon? People right. are like sun tanning. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and Billy says we're never going to use pyro. <laughs> it's not for us. Did you guys know that Billy Idol knows more about American history than probably anyone whoa, whoa, whoa. that you know? Spoiler alert! Well, spoiler alert: <laughs> the people over there in Britain, as Richard Shaw has clearly defined are much more learned in general. I'll say it. America, we're getting dumber. And if you don't want to be part of that, then first off, turn off this show because there's nothing you're going to learn from this that nitrous oxide can't provide for you. (laughs) Isn't that sad, though, to think that someone from Britain would know more about American history than most Americans know? I mean, I guess it depends if it's Lemmy Kilmonster sitting in like a full Nazi uniform like by himself right above uh, the rainbow. Well, anyway, nonetheless, fun facts about rock stars, things that you're going to find out in this episode. So shall we introduce ourselves? Sure. Why not? I'm Benny Goodman, but I'm here with my lovely partner in crime, as well as the voice of reason, Siobhan Cronin. So I'm okay. I am the sole partner in crime, but hi. Hey, everyone. Well, no, Corey's not my partner in crime. Corey would turn me in like without a doubt. Like he's not my partner. He'd be like, I don't know that guy. Even for a very small reward. But with that said... Like I've always said, with that said, Corey Peza, the guy <laughs> that plays bass, turns some knobs, and comes after Siobhan Cronin. Just glad to be here, man. Perfect lineup there. <laughs> <laughs> but so here we are for episode two with Steve Stevens. And if you haven't checked out episode one, go listen to it. A lot of interesting tidbits they in there. They might step we re- into some poop. Yeah. So we don't <laughs> want to give too many spoiler alerts since Benny doesn't have a filter. But if you've ever thought about Billy Idol, you don't think of a person. You think of this this character. And Steve Stevens knows the person. I think of a snarl. He could be an emoji. Like if anyone could be an emoji, <laughs> yeah. Billy. Actually, Steve Stevens, Steve could, Stevens be a, could be an emoji. Well, Everybody. That well, we've if you guys to go to the beginning of this episode, go on to YouTube because we actually have Paul Lorenzo, our drummer from Lost Symphony, our band, LostSymphony.com, drew a picture of Steve Stevens and I sent it to Steve. And the, the problem with it, in the first place and Steve loved the first picture we sent but it didn't have a ray gun and I can tell how pissed off Paul was he was like why wouldn't you tell me that from the start and I'm like I didn't think of it bro like I was hanging out with my friend Heath and he said listen man Steve Stevens has a ray gun you can't have a picture of Steve Stevens as a cartoon without a ray gun so I sent that to Steve and Steve writes back to me both my my wife and I 
really, really like this picture. And at first he's like, I have thick skin when he said he would do it. I'm like, dude, this is not meant to be a joke. Like you are a fucking cartoon. Like if there ever was one in it's the greatest way, like literally he his hair's perfect. He's always has sunglasses on. He's got his lip pierced. He looks exactly the same as does, the white yeah. wedding video. Identical. So if you want to say Steve Stevens, if that's an insult, then it's an insult. But for me, I hope one day to look as good as the left side of your fucking sunglasses. I have to say, I'm mostly amazed by the fact that he can play an insane like flamenco guitar solo while smoking a cigarette, like without yeah. dropping it. It's just like multitasking to the extreme. <laughs> now, this is definitely uh, one of our more rock and roll episodes. Stories about what we got Michael Jackson, Billy Idol, Top Gun, uh, yeah. you know, stepping in poop <laughs> in a in a good way. Oddly enough, <laughs> sometimes you just do it and good things happen. So here we are. Part two with Steve Stevens. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of 2020 where up is down and left is right. And sometimes flamenco is actually rock and roll. Um, I'd like to introduce my dais first because Siobhan was so excited last episode. She didn't even introduce us before the guest, which is usually what you do because you have like the, the drum roll or whatever. Because like, we, have a, we have a guest way above our pay grade. Actually, you can get this guest on Cameo to say whatever you want them to say. Um, and I recommend you doing that because if there's any way to make your day, I would love just all of my friends that are listening. I would love for you to hire our guest. But I'm not going to get to him yet because I'm not rude like Siobhan. I'm going to say I Siobhan was so Cronin. excited. I've been hanging Siobhan out Cronin. with Steve Stevens on YouTube the last five days. So. <laughs> well, I know Thank you, you have. Hi, I'm Siobhan Cronin. And then we have Corey Peza, who's back from Hawaii. who got 2020 before he left in 2020 now because he's been up for like 39 hours straight. Poor Corey. Yeah, I'm alive. We're good. And ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> found on Cameo, literally the soundtrack to HBO for at least two decades, and the man behind Billy Idol, uh, played on Dirty Diana and has the coolest hair probably in rock and roll and sunglasses yes. because the sun never sets on a player. That's right, yes. Fucking Steve, motherfucking Billy Idol, shred your face off like Carlos Montoya. Stevens. <laughs> All right. What an intro. Wow. That, that was a true Benny. You can, you can hire me on Cameo. Yeah. Wow. He, he was awesome. pretty, yeah. Awesome, man. If you're not awake wake, at 5 I want to wake up to that as my, 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 my alarm. No yeah, coffee it'll required. Get, it'll, it'll get the blood pump in there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, this is why you need a limiter on your mic. Hopefully it's on yeah. today. It, it is on mic. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. So, Steve, thank, thank you for joining us again. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, the, the last episode, if, if you guys haven't checked it out, go listen. This is this is the real deal. This is you know rock and roll history stories as well as some some pretty good advice um, for musicians and, and people in general that are in the creative field. What are some of the uh, the biggest moments for you in, in like your touring history? What, what what moments stand out to you as something that you you always kind of cherish or, or or hold in high esteem? Or maybe you just thought it was surreal. You're like I cannot believe that I just won a Grammy <laughs> for the right. stepping in poop. <laughs> yeah, yeah stepping poop. Um, you know, obviously uh, playing Madison Square Garden, uh, I got the uh, opportunity to play with Billy there and then also with Michael Jackson. And, um, I, you know, as a kid growing up, you know, I used to camp out for shows when I was 13. Uh, you get your mm -hmm. Ticketron ticket and, you know. Uh, Who are you camping out for? 
camped out for uh, yes, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, uh, the Who, <laughs> and uh, I. You know, I like I said, yeah, I was a big English fan, so those. Were well, the that makes sense that, with the Palmer thing because I feel like your guitar playing is almost like the way he plays piano. Is right. like if he was to play your guitar through your fingers, that would he be. Was, Keith Emerson was such a big influence on me. Now, here's here's the crazy thing. In the middle section of uh, um, Rebel Yell, there's the breakdown where Billy goes, I walk the ward for you, babe, or a thousand miles for you. I've and done then, karaoke, Steve. I know it. You know that? Okay. <laughs> so that uh, behind it, there's a melody that plays halfway through. And people think it's a keyboard. It's not. It's, it's my guitar replicating the keyboard the mini moog solo in lucky man was a, was the oh, inspiration wow. for that and i wanted wow. to, i wanted to get that same sort of fluid linear sound and and um and uh keith emerson was a big influence on me uh, you know i always tell people i tell guitar players take your influences from outside of your own instrument listen to other instruments to to get because you'll find stuff that'll give you a unique slant if you're just replicating your favorite it's great to have your favorite guitar players but you don't want to be a clone and, and just play like them so listening to classical or jazz and all this other stuff and other instruments and finding a way to interpret it is a great great way to find your own voice Oh, that is such great, great advice. advice. Yeah. And that, that's a funny story because we just did a, a cover tune, you know, a couple weeks ago. And I did with my <laughs> electric violin. I put it through a Kemper and got like an electric guitar sound. And people watched the video and they were like, she played the John, violin? Give some background. She played Jakey Lee's part on Bark at the Moon. Awesome. And, and she played the harmony to the solo flawlessly. But people were like, they were mad. where's the, where's, where's <laughs> they the violin? They thought I was like faking the violin. And, and, and <laughs> they, I think they were listening for organic violin. And she was literally playing through Kemper. And I've. I realized that there was a learning exp uh, 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 there's a learning curve because people right. didn't realize what, what they were hearing right I'm going to tell you we actually were messing around with Rebel Yell because we've been doing some quarantine jams before yeah. we even knew we were going to talk to you I thought that was a keyboard part. Yeah, it's not. And it's, I learned it on the keyboards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny because Joey, the guitar player we're playing with, who's Joey Concepcion, is literally like a savant level player. He, he's, I, I always say his his hands are like an Ouija board because if we did, <laughs> we did a cover of Van Halen and he, like you can't play Van Halen unless you could do it justice. And like, I don't yes. do it. No right. one I know does it justice. Right. Joey's right. like literally like, yes, no, goodbye, ain't talking about love. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But I had awesome. no idea that that was a guitar part. And I got to tell you, you know, you talk a lot about your tone and using <laughs> lots of effects. I would have never known that. Um, what made you decide really to, to take on the effects so much and, and, and try to hide camouflage your guitar playing in that in, in that way? Um, well, this was the 80s and, you know, uh, it, there was it. it nothing against keyboards but if i didn't come up with it there was going to be a keyboard part on the record yeah. to do it <laughs> sure yeah so so and, and i wanted us to be guitar based you know i really wanted to uh and also my love of of uh experimental guitar players there's a there's um Billy actually turned me on to uh, Susie and the Banshees, right? I didn't know anything about it. And he said, oh, you ever check them out? And he he kind of grew up with Susie. She's from Bromley, where he's from in England. And um, and, he, and I started to listen to these records. There was a guitar player who passed away named John McGee. And he was very cool with his effects. And we, you know, he, he was kind of like a good influence on what we were doing. And the same with... Um, 
you know, uh, uh, Andy Summers with the police using the delays and the things that he was doing uh, at the early 80s that I, I kind of thought, yeah, if I don't do it, if I don't come up with it, there's going to be some, you know, guy with a, you know, Jupiter 8 put, you know, just playing chords. And I was yeah. like, now nah, let's let's at least try the guitar idea. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you can confuse people, why not? Siobhan, yeah, that's, Siobhan, that's being edgy, yeah. right? Siobhan, can I have? Can we, can we play a game? I've been thinking about this, like, because you know, like in Pink Floyd, you can't have uh, your pudding if you don't eat your meat. But I feel like with the episode one, we <laughs> ate the meat, so now it's time for the pudding. So, let, Corey, tell me what you think of this idea. I know that Siobhan. So, Steve, you may not be aware of this, but Siobhan's actually played with a lot of incredible players uh, like yourself. And I was thinking maybe we could play a game where we list off players and you give us like an awesome story of what it's like to work with a personality of that caliber. And obviously, since it's it's ladies first, I'm going to start off with Andre Bocelli. Bocelli. Andrea Bocelli, is that how you say it? Am I uh, fired? Andrea Bocelli. Yeah. Okay. yeah. What, what's, what's it like to work with him? Any good story? Honestly, not a great story. He's just like a, a super... A super nice guy. <laughs> no, he did not. Walk, he did not walk into a wall. Just like I don't know. You know, some people you walk in and they just have such superstar power that they just like command an entire. It's, it's, I think the most amazing thing with any major artist is when they can just walk into a space or a concert hall and just like command the attention of thousands of people. You know, it's something that's like beyond music. It's yes. personality. It's it's your background. So it's your experiences. It's like you don't even understand how somebody can have that much. I don't know. That's that much of a presence. Okay. Sebastian Bach. That's for you, Steve. Oh, uh, for me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you worked with Sebastian Bach. Sorry, I meant Steve right. Stevens. I thought like Siobhan Sebastian worked Bach. with him. Yeah, no. I, have the, I have the Johan Sebastian yeah, no, Bach. Different Bach. I work with different all Bach. the time. <laughs> um, you know, he's, you know, uh, I, I, I love the fact that he is exactly in real life how he is. The guy's, the guy is a rock star. He's larger than life. Um, he's a like handful. Six four. <laughs> he's he's a damn <laughs> handful. But but uh, he is such a fan of of music. And I mean, obviously, he's a huge Kiss fan to begin with. He has he, frozen Gene Simmons blood in his freezer. He, he That's a different never, level, man. Here's the thing about him: he has never lost his enthusiasm or his attitude about music and rock and roll that he had probably when he was you know 10 or 11 years old as a as a kid doing the kiss thing um and uh and i really like sebastian i i i uh i know that he uh he can say some things sometimes that maybe rub people the wrong way he's very opinionated and uh but he's very real he will he's not a he's not a bullshitter and uh, mm -hmm. and i love people like that even if uh even if they say something i don't agree with or whatever at least you know what you're dealing with absolutely all right yeah so siobhan this is for he's you. a hell of a singer yeah, i mean well, and, and, yeah. and still <laughs> still that. has that voice you know? he, literally yeah. so you say that and i i agree i i consider him uh you know like the freddie mercury of like heavy like music from that time like him like a lot of people say axel rose as well like all those guys but for me like i remember hearing that live album mm -hmm. that that they'd done uh skid row had done and he's just singing something he's just holding out like yeah so and the smooth. power it's i mean look i love iron maiden like bruce dickinson yeah. has but there's a finesse that you know certainly in his prime that sebastian bach that there was none better there was different 
There was, you know, other opinions. It's obviously music is subjective as a whole, but for me, there was none technically better than that guy. I'll tell you what, 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 uh, a short little Sebastian story. I'll show you how to, a good guy he is. Yeah. So I asked him to do, um, I was invited to do this gig in New York at, um, oh, I forgot the Originally, it was Les Paul's club. Where he Iridium or something? That's right, the Iridium. Originally, he yeah. was Fat Tuesdays. He did his thing. And, mm -hmm. and then they kept it. So Les Paul passed away, and they continued to do this uh, this this show. I got invited. And they after Les passed away, they'd invite guest guitar players to curate it and, and play. And um, so I said, I'll, I'll come in and do it. It was with, a, with their band. So I invite Sebastian. I said, I'm going to go do this thing at the Iridium in New York. Would you like to come and get? Oh, sure, man. We'll go do, you know, we'll have fun. There. Okay. We get there. First of all, the place is tiny, teeny tiny. And I didn't realize it was dinner theater, meaning everyone's <laughs> seated and they're eating dinner while you're playing. Now that's, that, that's a different experience for, for a musician. Yeah, that's like something I should, would have been hired at. <laughs> it's, it's not rock and roll, right? So right. I just I find this out because this place set, you know, I'm doing the sound check. Sebastian's not there yet. And I'm looking, I'm going, what's with the place settings? They go, oh, people, yeah, they eat dinner while they watch you. They eat dinner? I go, wow, that's, and it's two shows a night. So that's a different thing. So Sebastian shows up. I go, listen, buddy. I'm, Thank you so much for doing this. I got to tell you something. This is dinner theater. Because <laughs> what do you mean dinner theater? I go. They're going to be eating dinner. Well, <laughs> dinner. What are you talking? What the fucking dinner? <laughs> so we get up there, and he's such a good sport. We get up and we do like the first song or something, and he walks across the table and picks up somebody's drumstick. Goes, "How's the chicken?" <laughs> Starts eating it in the middle of the song, and just. <laughs> He just was a great sport about it. Played with the whole thing, and and uh, it, it was just it was a, a lot of other people could have been very pissed off about that. You know, like why didn't you tell me? Uh, yeah. Uh, In the defense of the Iridium, they have really good chicken wings. Do they? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I made that up. Oh wait, hold on. Now it's back to Siobhan. Siobhan. Except uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, well. Earth, Wind, and Fire. That was a short stint. That was something that I did as like a symphony thing. So I didn't really get to you know work with them that closely and i was gonna was it say during that's september something, you know I, I think it was in the summer because it was one of she those outdoor festival type <laughs> things it was definitely like during festival season you know but that's a funny thing you know as a string player some of the experiences you have with major artists is so peripheral you know which is kind of why i like the band that i'm in right now because you know talking about the writing process or collaborating it's just it feels so much more meaningful when you're not just like the hired person on the side you know as great as it is to learn from other you know major artists like sure. it's definitely cool when you get to really have personal interactions with people Agreed. so with them i really didn't get to interact very closely <clears throat> unfortunately yeah um i i cool got show. i got called to do uh, early on i got called to to do uh, a, a session and I, I don't never did really many sessions or whatever i'm not a, a you know great read sight reader or anything like that but i got called to do a session for diana ross and mm. um this was after i'd done michael jackson so they obviously thought oh let's get that guy you know yeah. right. i show up at the studio and i remember when i spoke to when when uh, quincy jones called me to do uh to do michael jackson I said, well, I said, I'm willing to do it. Um, you know, I agreed to do it. I said, under one condition that Michael's there. And he goes, well, of course he's going to be there. It's his record. Why wouldn't he be? <laughs> I said, okay. Well, you never know. You're right. right? I mean, 
So I went in and Diana Ross was nowhere to be seen. I think she was in another mm. country at the time. <laughs> and uh, and I said, Where, where's Miss Ross? Oh, Miss Ross. And I just was like, ah, you know, this is not for me. It's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm not the session guy. So. Right. <laughs> right. Well, so let's you mentioned, though, now that we brought it up, let's go back since we didn't cover it in the first episode. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with Michael Jackson and how that came about and, you know, the story behind that? Oh, and I have to ask. I'm going to dovetail don't, on that. Don't press this. Oh, well, I, well, there's one. Write it down. Write it down. Write it down and come back. All right. I will write it. I did write it down. OK, go ahead, Ben. Well, no, I was just going to say that you worked with Michael Jackson, but that I, I had read somewhere um, that, you know, you didn't know what to ask for money. And then when you talked to Eddie Van Halen, he didn't ask for any money either. Do you think that that's this is to add on to it? Do you think that's setting a precedent for guitar players? Like, should you have gotten paid money from Michael Jackson, the really rich guy? But this is. Off of what Siobhan was saying. Sorry. Well, well yeah. I lost it. Okay. Yeah, you, you can come back to that. Yeah. Maybe talk about your experiences. <laughs> so this is how like I 2020 him. So at, oh. the, at the time, I was, uh, I had just been signed to, to Warner Brothers, and Ted Templeman, the producer of Van Halen, was my A&R guy. And I guess the story I got from Ted was that Quincy called Ted. This is the follow-up record to, you know, uh, you know, uh, the beat it and all that and so now they're working on the bad album and they've got a rock track and they need a guitar player uh and the quincy calls ted who's who should we get ted says you got to get steve stevens he's you know ted and i had struck up a re a friendship at that point i'm signed to warner brothers quincy calls me uh i'm living in new york and uh and i had had a late night <clears throat> and i thought my friends were playing a joke on me like ha yeah sure and uh he said no no don't hang up because i won't call back but uh ted templeman gave me a number and oh okay um so uh i had uh, you know the way that i always worked with idol was that it was myself billy and keith our, our producer in the studio with no entourage and an engineer no entourage we pretty pretty small little tight unit um and uh and i'm thinking oh wow i'm gonna i gotta fly out to do this michael jackson thing there's gonna be a huge entourage it's gonna you know uh, i'm not prepared for that this is a whole different thing for me i don't you know it's a different world so i i, I get to the studio westlake and i open the studio door and it's just michael quincy and an engineer exactly <laughs> the same way i was used to working and Perfect. uh and i said oh this is this is great because i was expecting the whole shebang and and they said, no, man, we just, we're just in here doing, making a record. That's it, you know? And um, a great experience. Uh, Quincy was obviously the father <coughs> figure then. They, you could tell that they had a close bond. Uh, it, it, was, um, it was all about the music, you know? And, um, and uh, you know, Michael loved, I do this kind of ray gun guitar effect thing and Michael was into sci-fi and all that. And once I started to do that, he was like, oh, that's the coolest thing ever. You know? <laughs> and, and then he uh, probably pulled out his real ray gun. <laughs> <laughs> but here's one thing. So I do this, I do the solo and I'm finished. You know, we do the track, get that. And then they say, okay, now do what you want to do on it. And the, so I come back in the 
control room. This is the days before guitar players were actually in the control room. Mm-hmm. I come back in and I go, how's that? And they go, everybody goes, that's great. And Michael goes, oh, I really like the high notes. <laughs> I go, the high notes. Okay, cool. <laughs> remember this, right? Yeah. So, so then we do the video and that was a whole different thing. And uh, I've told this story. We pull up. Now it's time for the entourage. Now, now <laughs> is now I get the real Michael Jackson experience. Uh-huh. Hundred, hundred of people in um we pull up and there's a van outside with like swings and toys and all this i go wow they they've even allocated a spot for the kids people's kids to do no it's bubbles the chimp van it's his van (laughs) my god that is the ultimate rock star moment so i go in and we're doing the thing and he goes you want to meet bubbles (laughs) oh that's why i'm here i'm I'm here (laughs) right so they bring bubbles out there's somebody holding bubbles and they're spraying him with elizabeth taylor's passion perfume right (laughs) so it's a little weird right (laughs) um and i get to meet bubbles and you know it's like the whole thing all right so when i uh when i got together with eddie van halen soon after doing this i go hey man i did i worked with michael jackson he goes oh man cool you know i go yeah i'm on the rock track you know you know i go you know, it was a great opportunity. He goes, hey, man, did he say he liked the high notes? <laughs> so that was, yeah. Good. I go, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Both of us are like, yeah. what does that mean? You know, we, we play a lot of high notes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. But, um, so after that, oh, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, yeah. So that's my, my Michael Jackson experience. I, I was just going to ask. So after that, to what extent were you performing with him? Because you mentioned earlier that you'd played, you know, a show with him or, right, you know, yeah. how much did you perform with him? <clears throat> Um, I did one show with him. Uh, it was a benefit in New York for the NAACP. And so his, he, his manager at the time was a guy named uh, Frank DeLeo, who was like supposedly a connected guy, heavyweight dude, Italian, don't mess with him, old school. Mafia. Everyone's, <laughs> Michael's nice, but I'll come over with some cement shoes, Steve. Every, right. Everybody is in fear of this guy, right? Uh-huh. Now, I'm going to play uh, Madison Square Garden with Michael Jackson. All my family wants to come. My mom, my dad, course, my oh uncles, my, my cousins. Like, you know, th- this is the big time, right? I'm like, so I call the office and they said uh i said i i i need some tickets and they go sold out show sold out i go oh, what am i gonna do you know and there's i go sold out sold out and they go every ticket is spoken for but i'll ask frank okay i go uh. oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> i get this message frank says come up to the hotel he's staying at the plaza hotel i go oh, oh boy I, I gotta go i gotta kiss the ring right yeah. <laughs> right right <laughs> So I go up there. I said, hello, Mr. DeLeo. You know, nice to meet you. I said, I, I have about six family members uh, that would love to see the show. He goes, here's what I'll do. I'll put in an extra row of seats for your family. And, wow. lit- and literally put Just seats added. in. I was the nicest Unexpected. guy. Unexpected. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure if, if you're friends with him, he's the nicest guy. Exactly. <laughs> like, be on that guy's good side. He's like, I will add an extra row at Madison Square Garden for right. the Stevens. Yeah. It's, it's like the, 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 the when you hear about the John Gotti. Oh, he threw the best parties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was cool to me. That's all I know. <laughs> Wow, and what was it like playing that show? Um, 
<laughs> you know, I show up at the sound check and it's just me and my guitar and there's no Michael and there's a, a very flamboyant guy comes out and he's the choreographer. Of course, yeah. And he says, now during the solo, you're going to chase Michael up on the rafter. I go, I don't chase. I'm not, I, I go, I go, there's my wah-wah pedal. That's kind of where I'll be. Right. If, you, if you need me, I'm going to be around, around this vicinity. I go, right. I don't chase. I don't run. You know, it's like, you know, oh, but we, and I go. I'm not that guy. I go, really, I'm not that guy. To choreograph. I go, I'm rock and roll. I play a Billy Idol. We don't choreograph anything. Right. Uh, and um, so, okay. And it turned out fine, and, you know, but uh, uh, it, the backstage was very different than, you know, at a, at a rock and roll show. It's, you know, in the 80s, you know, you can imagine yeah. what backstage was. Oh, are. sure. Yeah. Well, this yeah. backstage No, was, I can't imagine. I can't <laughs> imagine. Tell us all about it, Steve. Oh, <laughs> well, it was, you know, booze and babes and drugs and you but know was that true because like i mean I'm, i feel like we're so removed from it now because like here's well, the rock thing and that, roll isn't like that anymore now she, it's gyms and protein shakes well, like because netflix so steve, you think it's redundant <laughs> right Starbucks. so i feel like i am like i'm 38 i just turned 38 um i'm at that age where like okay. i feel like i'm the last generation to really understand and maybe see the end throngs of that but now like you hear you see these netflix specials of motley crew and mm. that's what people like they don't know they literally don't know what happened and then you see like the Def Leppard story. They got fluffed underneath the stage. Like, <laughs> yeah. did this shit happen, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the thing was, it was so accepted. I mean, the per yeah. the person that had the best coke was always the, the head of the, well, not the head, but somebody at the record label. <laughs> yeah. You know, you'd be you'd be at a, at a, at a, at a meeting and people would, you know, in a boardroom and people would just put out lines. That's how they got stuff done, Steve. Yeah. Well, we did. We didn't watch the Wizard know, of Oz. Did you, you see know, Judy Garland? It was no like she was fucked as hell on that shit. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't know about rehab or you know or the you know the thing. The thing was the record company. What we later learned was the record company wanted to keep you as screwed up as possible, so you weren't aware of yeah. how much of your money they were taking. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh know? yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. They twenty twenty so, you by giving you the best coke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like, yeah, man, here, just sign this thing. Yeah, that's and right. We'll just take care of all your money and just keep doing the cocaine. It's you fine. It's fish many, scale. You're You're fine. It's no joke, man. That's to totally true. So Michael Jackson's dressing uh, backstage was not like that. It's Liza Minnelli and Donald Trump and uh, you know oh, wow. Donald Trump was back there. Yes, <laughs> with Liza Minnelli. Yes, with Liza Minnelli. Uh, not together. Wow. He, he was he was with uh, <laughs> what was his first wife's name? Ivanka. Oh, Iv Ivana. 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 No, that's his daughter. Yeah. No, Ivanka oh, oh, is Ivana the daughter. Is, ah, I get them confused. They're Ivana. basically the same. Ivana. Anyway. He's yeah. with Ivana. Um, who else is there? Liza Minnelli, uh, uh, Willem Dafoe. Uh, it's all these kind of like New York <laughs> oh my God. actors. And, you know, it's it's a different scene, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So speaking of New York, so you at, at a certain point you moved to L.A., obviously totally different vibe. What prompted your move from New York to L.A.? Um, well, I, I, there was a period of time after we did Whiplash Smile, I was signed to Warner Brothers and Billy made the decision to move to, to California. I wanted to stay in New York. Uh, so we didn't work together for a couple of years. Um, and then um, 
I got a call. Uh, although we we made, you know we stayed friends and uh, stayed in touch, and and uh, there was never a falling out or any kind of bullshit like mm-hmm. that. So, um, and then he called me and said, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm working on a new record. Uh, what do you think about coming back to work with me?" And I came out to L.A. and. <clears throat> he had a home studio and nobody had home studios in New York. I mean, you well, can, yeah, you, you can't can, even fit yourself in. New yeah, York you can't, you stuff. can't even afford a parking spot. <laughs> Terry Bozio will let you borrow his drum set and you can set up a studio in there when he's not there on the Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> New York wouldn't work well for Terry. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, I come out and, um, and we start to, to work together and, uh, uh, his first record company, Chrysalis had folded and, I started to get, uh, at first I was staying in a hotel, then I went to a residential hotel, then I said, you know what, I kind of like being out here. I can I can have a studio. Uh, a lot of my friends who were out in LA, uh, you know, who had moved out to LA, uh, there was more, it just seemed like, you know, I'd met the, the GNR guys and Duff McKagan and, uh, and, uh, and it just seemed to be a good little scene happening to make music mm-hmm. and, and people were doing it in their homes uh, rather than losing money in the recording studio. So I just thought this was a good, uh, good environment, good health. I, I needed a change of, of play, you know, New York yeah. was, uh, you know, I was spending a little bit too much time in the subterranean world. Of New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're a fan of LA now? Uh, it's changed a lot. You know, my wife and yeah. I are, are actually, uh, up, up until the COVID hit, were looking to move somewhere. And uh, um, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I belong in L.A. anymore. It's, a, it's a, We live uh, Sunset Plaza and it's nothing but hotels that have come up here. And mm-hmm. all of the mom and pop restaurants in my neighborhood are gone. It's now Wahlburgers wow. and all this. And, um Guy and Holly Weird. Yeah, it's it's just very ch- it's changed a lot, and I don't go hang out in clubs and, and, and stuff like that. You know, we're, we 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 you know uh, either we're on the road when we can be, or um, or we're home doing very normal stuff. So right, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of your wife, you you know, not to change gears, but you were on reality television, obviously. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that the the TV show. Uh, yeah, that what was, that was like, or how that came up. It, it, you know, when I, I, I had nothing but good things to say about it. It wasn't scripted, and um, it actually came about because the producers came to a Camp Freddy show, as you had mentioned, mm-hmm. and they saw all of us musicians hanging together. Uh, and uh, you know, Billy Duffy from the Cult, who I've known since the '87, uh, we were all friends, and they said, oh, you know, it'd be cool to do this. Um, uh, you know, a series with you guys. And um, we said, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it, it was more centered on our wives. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was on the road so I could be involved as much as I wanted. And she's, her personality is meant for TV anyway. So I was just happy to see her, you know, get an outlet to do that kind of thing. Um, can you guys hold on one minute? I have to Absolutely. plug in my computer because yeah, of sure. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah do you, no problem. You're getting 2020. I mean, um, <laughs> renew your antivirus while you're at it. Uh, right. yeah. Good idea. I'm going to be right back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No you worries. Okay. So, uh, <clears throat> did, are we talking to Steve Stevens? Cause he's kind of awesome. Are you noticing that? Look at that rack, dude. I know. Yeah, I know. Now we finally get to see it for anyone watching Siobhan, the video. Yeah. Can you talk to us about his rack? 
<laughs> I can talk to you about mine. <laughs> Just I was going to say talk dirty to me, but then I didn't really mean it that way. I'm, I'm no, engaged, Siobhan. Like, Jesus, are you trying to get me? She's going to listen to the show. She's going to be like, you had Siobhan talk about a rack on the radio. Go on. <laughs> Maybe you guys can talk about his rack because you know more about all this techie stuff than I do. It's funny. Funny enough, I'm I'm in the. Uh, There's an Avalon in there. Yeah, I, I'm in the view where I'm seeing only whoever's talking. So I, I see the old school see line rack. six. Oh, you got to change your view, Corey. He's got like a pod. Oh man, I'm judging him. <laughs> <laughs> we we were judging you by your rack. Oh, we need to wait for him to plug his. All right, I'm back. We, Sorry about yeah. that. We, we were judging. We were, you. Yeah. You know, go ahead, Ben. We were judging you by your rack, and then Siobhan wanted to talk about her rack. And then I was like, I just got engaged, so like it's not gonna be good if she talks about her rack. But like, I had we were no talking intention, about your, I was just joking. We were talking about your rack. Um, do you use all that stuff? Um some of it, yeah. You know, this this was put together this this gear was put together quite a while ago and um now, you know, I mean you could do a lot of this stuff in the box anyway, but I use a lot of it, you know. Um I try and you know, I'm I do guitar-based music, so as much analog gear as I can use to warm up my tracks and stuff, and not have it as digital sounding as possible. So yeah, I you know, I use most of it. So we we've talked a lot, not to change gears again, but we've talked a lot about some of the other people you've worked with. I I see here that you're working on a solo project right now. Um, you have a bunch of other things that you're working on this year. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Like, what are some of the current projects that are you know taking your time these days? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I've done a number of solo records. I thought the time would be right to um, maybe do something with guest vocalists uh, for each track. And also, you know, it'll afford me to, the, the ability to do different things stylistically, not just do uh, rock tracks or whatever. And um, the, there's quite a number of singer I, i'm so gifted that i've worked with so many great singers um mm -hmm. and there's a to me there's a lot i mean that's the one thing is it's a lot of good singers out now um and uh, and uh, some of which i really love to work with so um you know not unlike uh you know the, con the basic concept of what carla santana did with his supernatural obviously i won't do a pop record like that but i'd love to bring in different people to work with maybe different producers people that can kind of take my what i do on the guitar i challenge you to do a pop record because i'll tell you right now <laughs> your writing and your your sense of melody would be perfect because you know what there's all these guys out there like you know red one and max martin but like yeah. those guys are geniuses they're, they they're are. over Absolutely. there they're like what is it sweden or whatever yeah. they're yeah. like they train everyone from a young age to learn music and all that sort of stuff and i would say you know what i would totally love to hear steve stevens do something you know with your acoustic work or something like that and do something with like you know a very unique and have to live in that pop box because guess what I bet you you would make every moment of it interesting um, whether you're making your guitar sound like keyboards whatever so like you wrote that off really quickly but like that actually don't take the low hanging fruit man turn on the video like make a remix have all those guys at the clubs while you're up at your house changing your salt shakers and like doing your lawn like have the girls dancing to your song yeah I mean I, you know uh, obviously I hear a lot of that stuff from uh, you know, my wife listens to a lot of current stuff, but um, uh, you know, I love I love a gr great man. It is not easy to craft a great pop song. Oh yeah, and, I was just going to say with that with Billy Idol. Uh, you know, man, we've had a lot of like success with uh, what I would call pop songs, and mm -hmm. you know, rock rock and roll pop, um, and um, 
and, and I don't, I don't uh, dispel any of that stuff as long as, as long as I get to be myself. You know, I don't want to try and be something I'm yeah. not. We've we've talked about this on on previous podcasts, but what it comes down to is is a good song is a good song. Uh, yes. You know, if you if you took the, you know you went back and, and changed all the instrumentation to Rebel Yell to like you know some like synths and and EDM drums, it would it would probably chart <laughs> right now. <Yeah>. You know? <laughs> uh, it's a great song, so that's that's what it comes down to. By the way, it- twenty twenty bass nectar remix of Billy Idol yeah. with Steve Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Well, you, yeah. Yeah, MTV. I mean, yeah, I mean we um, we were on uh, on on board with uh, with doing remixes way back in the 80s mm-hmm. uh we always did extended remixes and stuff and i think it was us and def leppard were the really the right. only the only two rock oriented groups that were doing that um mm-hmm. and that came came a lot from our producer who, who came from you know do donna summer's records and things and we understood you know this stuff could be played in clubs it didn't just have to be played on radio so yeah uh, you know yeah, good song is a good song. It, it translates, you know, absolutely. And anywhere, you know, it's it's all comes down, you know, the 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 vocals, the melody, and everything else is, you know, just the the canvas that you're putting it on. There. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So not to change gears, Siobhan, but I'm going to change gears because I actually want to <laughs> see Steve's reaction to this because there's a, there's a person that I'm wondering because we've been talking about great singers and you and you both have worked with a lot of incredible singers. Like I want to hear about Vince Neil, by the way, and Billy yeah. Idol. But before we get to that, Siobhan worked with Michael Bublé. What was that like? Uh, Michael Bublé, super, super nice guy, really down to earth. And I would say across the board, like we've talked about Can you about say before, something bad about Canada or is it just not true? No, I mean, he, he's just like, it's, I, I, honestly, I feel like I was going to say across the board, a lot of them, like the highest level people that I've worked with are all really, really authentic. Yeah. You know, they let you know who they are right away. They're very appreciative for what you do. Well, that's because David you know, Foster walked in and said, I'm going to make you. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. But yeah, he I mean, he's just a really I worked with Whitney. Guy. I can make you, Siobhan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these people, you know, he yeah, he he was someone that was doing his thing and then made it really big and I think he, you know, didn't forget where he came from and is very appreciative of all the experiences he has. So did you eat poutine? Was that on his like rider in no, the back? No, of course we had some sort of crazy catering and it had hey. whatever. I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> So how about you, Steve? You obviously have worked with people like that of that level, like a guy like Vince Neil. Like you gotta say, like when that guy walks into a room, you're like, holy shit, that's fucking Vince Neil. Right. Whether you love him or hate him, yeah. just like Sebastian Bach. Can yeah. you tell us what your experience has been like working with a guy, you know, who is across the board in so many ways? Well, it was, you know, uh, being a New Yorker, it was a bit of culture shock when I when I kind of came out to work with Vince because he's such the LA he, you know uh-huh. I, I didn't none of my friends ever said dude you know right yeah <laughs> oh, different rad. world god oh, dude <laughs> you know um what was cool was the uh, you know again the producer on on the record I did with him uh was a guy named Ron Nevison who did all the heart records those big huge records and had done uh, worked on Quadrophenia with the who and um no big deal no big deal and 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 i was used to okay so i come from the billy idol thing where maybe a guitar solo is eight bars at the most you know Mm -hmm. keep it concise keep you know just a little a little touch of guitar you know in a solo or whatever and um and with vince you know we we're in the studio and i do okay 16 bar guitar solo Ah, double it make it longer you know <laughs> play faster play you know play you like the more. high notes yeah <laughs> he liked he liked them all man it was just like i was suddenly given 
carte blanche to play as much guitar as I wanted, you know, with no restraints and um, and it would. Uh, that- well, he's thinking David Lee Roth's got Steve Vai and Jason Becker. I got this fucking Steve Stevens guy. We should probably get him paid by the well, note. Well, the, the the thing was, you know, <laughs> he was coming off the success of Doctor Feelgood, so uh, we album wise, we had big shoes to fill. And um, and the album turned out really really good. I enjoyed doing it, but man, it was right when Nirvana hit, and mm. and we went from the record company loving loving us to asking if we owned flannel shirts. <laughs> uh, wow! Oh my God! And I said, "You signed Vince Neil. Do, do yeah. you, are, are you not aware of Motley Crue? Of what you know? You, you know?" And it was like. They dropped the record. They just like couldn't be bothered. You know, it was just wow. And the, the tour was great when we supported Van Halen because we played to you know twenty thousand people a night. And we uh, on that tour, it didn't matter what was popular on radio or what was happening in on MTV or whatever or the grunge thing. But as soon as that ended, uh, we couldn't get arrested. And this same thing happened for a lot of those bands. Motley went through the same thing with the album they did and. Uh, the writing was on the wall for for a lot of the kind of heavy rock bands. Wow. So that you would attribute that mostly to the labels because I, you know, at least from my experience in the band that I'm in, I'm always hearing like, you know, arguments well, tell, between... tell them about your band. So this is the last band we should ask because uh, Dustin's a very big personality and I wouldn't, I didn't know who Dustin was. So I'm guessing Steve may not have heard of Starset. Have you heard of yeah, Starset, so Star, Steve? It's it's a sort of a cinematic act of rock, but, you know, probably totally different style, but, uh, um, you know, it's... How it's many got, streams do you have, Siobhan? <laughs> how many strings do I have? Streams. Oh, streams. Oh, oh, oh. Two, two billion. We, we just oh, she was in Forbes up. magazine. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, wh- like, I'm waking up and I'm like, wait, two billion. And what, what was the show wow. you were just on, Siobhan? What? Wait, which show? You play. You played a show on television. There, there's oh, the violin- Queen's Gambit. On oh, the, Netflix. the number one television on uh, <laughs> show on television. She plays the violin in that show. So that, like that series uh, is awesome. I love. She it. plays the violin. Uh-huh. Awesome. Now he's hurt it. you. Now he knows who you are. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that show is awesome. Amazing yeah, music it in that to be show. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank so, you so, for plugging me, even though it's not about me. But, but no, it is. But I want him to cool, be aware because none of us are current. Because he said current music like his wife, which I'm not current either so i just thought maybe when he's listening to you he'll have more understanding that you actually know what you're talking about when you have two billion streams in forbes awesome. and that you're on the show that we all watched on netflix yeah awesome. no well i i appreciate you highlighting that but what i w- what i was gonna say you know is that i you know i'm hanging out in the dressing room all the time and you know all the big shows you know the labels come and they send yep. their people whenever it's a cool mm-hmm. city to hang out in right but it, it's it's interesting how much argument no, i don't want to say argumentation but it's got to be really difficult especially for the front people or people involved in the writing process having to convince labels of like you know this is what we're going for and because you have totally two completely different sides you've got the the musicians and the creators and then you've got the, the suits you know and that's something that a lot of people forget about is that there's there's often a clash that goes on between trying to convince the label that you know don't try to change us yeah, especially don't try trying to, to innovate to this. When, yeah, yeah if you're if you're trying to be innovative it can be really really hard because a lot of times you've got someone that's sort of a visionary and then you've got the people in the suits that that you know want to go with whatever the current trend is and they want to push you in a certain direction right right so it's well, interesting I, that you brought I mean, that uh, up uh, uh, it used to be that the guys at the labels were ex you know not x but they were musicians mm-hmm. to start mm-hmm. with uh and producers and and you could call up your a- ar guy a and i mean perfect example is 
you know, originally when I signed to Warner's, Ted Templeman's the head of A&R, and he's making Montrose Records and Van Halen and Doobie Brothers. If I got a problem in the studio, I call him up and I go, man, I can't figure out how to get this bridge happening. All right, I'll be right down there. The yeah. guy, the guy's been there, yeah, knows yeah. it. Right. He didn't, he didn't go to law school in business right. school and and looking at you know the monthly uh, you know readouts or whatever. So it was very different, and I think the the the, the um, it was also that the the artists were responsible for their own music, you know, and and I think now the the game is that the label is puts the artists with writers and and a lot of times what you end up hearing is a product uh it's it, of the, the artist not is not necessarily telling their own story i don't think those kind of people last as long because the the real mm -hmm. artists have their own thing to tell but mm -hmm. uh but there's a lot of like you know and and also you know it used to be that the label would give you uh you know couple of albums to like you know find your way or or, or create you your, give you a chance steve like if you if develop, you whiff it once they would develop, develop an audience they right, put exactly. actual money into you and say right. you know what if he doesn't do it like you didn't get the six weeks on radio and then if you flopped they just like kicked you right out on the curb bye yeah, you, you got glad one you dropped out of college right now you got one shot at it and it's uh you know but 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 at the same time with the internet you can take that power back, but you don't, mm -hmm. and you don't have to rely on a label through Cameo. Um, you can call <laughs> Cameo, and we can get you. You can actually know, hire Steve Stevens right now <laughs> and have him call you, or even have him call your friend and say that he's late to work, or that maybe like someone needs the reminder that like you know that they're the Iceman in their life. You know what I mean, and that they're going down. You know what I mean, like just so, and if you need that. Cause I need that. I feel like I need that. Like I need to put the plug. And you can go to stevestevensguitar.com because I'm pretty sure that everything <laughs> Steve Stevens. I'm, but can I ask you why is it just not Steve Stevens? Who the hell is stevestevens.com? Some, some bastard out there has it. <laughs> is this, it. Are they not even using it? They're just holding you hostage. That motherfucker. Yeah, it's oh. a squatter. It's a web As if squatter. They don't know. It's like stevestevensredundant.com. Yeah, <laughs> somebody's got it. Yeah, but you're right. Now going back to that, I mean, now anyone can kind of self-produce an album and release it on the internet. So it's probably even more important than ever to have something to say. And it's it, when we have talked to industry people, you know, on our podcast and elsewhere, it's that's something that a lot of them mention as being important to them when they signed an artist or found an artist that made them want to invest in them. Is that they? It's not just is the product perfect? It's, do you have something to say? What's different? What's, you know, edgy? What's innovative? And it's, Agreed. you know, even harder with such a saturated market now, you know, you really have to say something. Very true. Siobhan, but I think this is the most excited I've seen you ever. Like, are you like amped up? <laughs> Did you drink a half a bottle of vino before you got on this? No, no, I didn't. No, but I've been watching like interviews with You're all hopped Steve. Up. With Steve, you don't understand. Like, she's usually like mousy, like, hi, it's nice to see. She's like all like, no, let me tell I don't you the next that question. For a minute. I do not believe that. <laughs> no, no, well, not, not well. with her fingers. If you hear her play, she's <laughs> formidable. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've heard her play if you watch The Queen's Gambit. And what she, he means oh to God. say is that normally either of us can't get a word in over no, Ben. No, exactly. So. The truth there is, Ben, you're normally dominating the conversation. <laughs> oh, you're oddly you're yeah. oddly demure tonight, so that's why demure, I'm taking Demure, that's a good one. <laughs> demure. Isolating our audience again. 
<laughs> no, but I, I got excited about this because like one of the things that made so me so eloquent. interested in you and watching, you know, a lot of the interviews that I found online is that, you know, I relate a lot to your versatility because I'm like I've mentioned, I'm someone that came from the classical music world and I've been thrown into rock music and into pop music and being outside of my comfort zone. And I just loved when I heard, you know, that you had all these different styles that you kind of incorporated into the stuff you do. And that that to me got it's like me an amalgamation of yeah. a, a buffet of different. And I think I think that's something that needs to be truly highlighted, especially for people that are listening, is that, you know, there isn't necessarily one path. And it's so important right. to have that 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 liberates you to be able to feel bold in taking on things that, like you said, saying it's OK to say, I don't know. You know, if you have that background of being versatile and having different experiences, I feel like that opens up your mind to have the skill to be able to approach things that might feel slightly uncomfortable. You know? uh, true. And, and, and when you look at, I mean, to me, arranging how, how no matter what genre or what style you're doing musically, arranging, whether it's three instruments, 10 instruments, arranging them uh, is really important. It's really key. I get, I get bored very easily when I hear a song where the, the bass and the guitar are going the same way. Da, 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 da. Uh -huh. and, and, and Led Zeppelin only, when you think about Led Zeppelin, there was only three instruments other than Robert Plant. But the parts were arranged so brilliantly that they're intertwined and they meet. It's almost like looking at a great old Swiss watch where you have these gears and these, mm -hmm. some of them move very fast and some are bigger and move slowly, but they all work together and that's about arranging and classical music is the best way Absolutely. to learn about arranging because every section and everything is all intertwined and to me that listening i mean my dad loved classical music and i never looked at classical like oh i don't get yeah i, I don't know for some reason I, I always got it you know i always kind of mm -hmm. like soar and i think the great guitar players the truly great ones are very good arrangers at, at arranging their guitar. And a lot of them you'll find, even Hendrix, uh, I've read probably about a dozen Hendrix biographies. He loved classical music. He was a big fan of a lot of classical music and, and applied it to the arrangements of the band. And, um, and uh, you know, I listen to a lot of film soundtracks mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I find that it really enhances what I do in rock and roll. If I just listen to my contemporaries, uh, it, you know, it does me, you know, I'll, it, it just doesn't, I can't apply it in any way. Right. Well, that's what makes you an out-of-the-box thinker, of course. And I totally, yeah, I mean, classical music is 100% of any arranging that I do. You're right. The counterpoint, the fact that voices move in opposition of one another and meet, it, you know, that's totally where that texture well, comes from. Do you not remember when I called you earlier, the, uh, Stephen, and this might be oversharing. So, like, I, <laughs> I decided this year, um, I was like, oh, I'll take some shrooms to, like, see if I feel good again or whatever, because you're supposed yeah. to, like, reduce anxiety or whatever. First do. off, it doesn't they do. do. <laughs> they do eventually. But but not when you're on them. So but one thing, one epiphany, I called Siobhan, I was like, oh, wait a minute. So basically what I've learned is that classical music is like playing someone's specific style and it's, you're forcing people later to play exactly what Chopin wanted or exactly what Mozart wanted. And they're telling you like with the F and the PPP, like <laughs> that. And then the little notations, you have to do the little things all the time. And that's all it is. It's just like basically playing exactly these Incredible parts because I was listening to Franz List Radio. 
if you haven't heard Finale from Franz Liszt, um, it basically is the giant <laughs> mega mix of all classical music in my mind because it's progressive classical music all done on the piano. It sounds like 17 people playing piano gotcha. simultaneously. And I just called Siobhan and I said, basically, you don't even have to have a style or technique, it seems, if you're actually studious in classical music, you're just literally like a, a, a drum machine. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> You know, Siobhan, well, is that accurate or am I just totally simplifying all of classical music? Well, there is a culture in classical music performance of being very purist in terms of doing what's true to the style. But, you know, just like anything, no matter whether it's classical, rock and roll, punk, I mean, you have to think about what was going on in that time. You know, classical music, this stuff was dance music. You know, they played it at parties. So, you know, I think some of the best performers, even when it comes to very, like, what you would consider, like, stringent, square classical music, the best performers of it are the ones that are most liberated in understanding this is party music this is dance music this is how it was done at the time you know and if you if you put yourself in the context of what what it was used for that it's not just a study and it's not just you know do ppp and fff you know it's <laughs> it, this is part of the leonard yeah. bernstein harvard speech you're talking about does he tell people you need to be like at a party music when you play classical no, that's just what you that's just what you learn i mean if you, you you have to be authentic when you're playing you know so if you're if you're too in the box and too square it's just not as effective of a performance but anyway <laughs> I digress. <laughs> so kind of uh, along those lines. So Steve, you've been playing some of these Billy Idol songs for a long time. Do you adapt them over time and, and bring in any new, any new elements? And, and as a you know, musical director, do you go to the band and say, you know what, like, what are we going to do to keep this fresh? Well, there's a, a, what, what's great is there was a number of things that we uh, that songs from from the 80s that we couldn't really create recreate on stage especially the songs from whiplash smile because um, technology was not there um, it, it just we did we weren't a, 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 you couldn't use sequences and things like that that technology didn't exist so now um, because we, we we've been doing a lot of these Vegas residencies where you're where you're uh, you're there in one venue for three days out of the week <clears throat> and a lot of times people will come in they'll still watch all three shows so we dig back in the back catalog and we reinterpret a lot of this nice. stuff and use mm -hmm. the technology that we can now and um, and also that you know um, we do uh, there's a song on a whiplash style called don't need a gun and we've done it f with flamenco guitar for the last 15 years yeah. just uh, what what happened was one of the great things that Billy and I did when we got back together was we did storytellers, and we that did was it awesome. Yeah. I totally love that. And we we even had like a uh, uh, you know Spanish flamenco percussionist with us, and we reinterpret a lot of stuff acoustically because the songs work that way, and it allowed us to kind of like look at the catalog again and do it in a new way, but still you know present the song hopefully it didn't lose its integrity or anything and so um you know we we and and being on stage with that guy nothing is scripted so you got to be on your toes because he's going to do something different every night in every <laughs> that's song. great that's that's great you know like i just like spend my time because i know the guitar parts by now and i'm just looking at him and going <laughs> he's out of his fucking mind but <laughs> how brilliant that's yeah. exactly what i want billy idol to be he's not he's not this one thing you know he's not this you know i've seen bands that kind of go through the motions and they kind mm -hmm. of play the hits and it's and they seem yeah. like they're a little bored of that and i can tell <laughs> you man it's not the case with with billy it's it's he's the real deal man he's still passionate about it 
Does he have blood from Kiss in his freezer? From Kiss? <laughs> Remember, like Sebastian Bach. Oh. <laughs> I'm saying, does he have that enthusiasm? Because the thing is, is that I love that about Sebastian Bach. And when I, first off, Billy Idol, so like we haven't really di like dove into this. Can you humanize him for us a little bit? Because I, when I see him, I think of a snarl. I think of perfect hair. I think he has like a rip, like I should do my laundry on his on his six pack. <laughs> and he's like, got like, you know, the, the he's like rock and roll and his yeah. songs are all badass. And you're doing pinch harmonics and 80s pop rock songs <laughs> and just killing it. And like, I love that. Yeah. But like, who is this guy? Like you said that Billy can't be bothered with this. So we know what Billy can't be bothered with. What is Billy bothered with? <laughs> um, well, the guy knows more about American history than any American I know. And I've really? Wow, I've that's incredible. Yeah, and I found this with Ozzy as well. I've, I've got to know Ozzy a little bit. And so wait, Ozzy, and did, does Ozzy ever call Billy Channel. Idol, like, sit down, and they're like, dude, did you know this in Nuremberg, that they actually did it this way? I bet you they do. I bet oh you they God. do. Oh, my God. I mean, History Channel is like that, and, and Idol has all these books uh there's always a new book about a battle of somewhere or some wow. something about american history and and, uh, and um i think because in england um, the the tv you know post second world war england really you know even though they they came through the wars as victors the place was decimated and people had no money and they were on the dole and and they looked at american tv as as this shining thing and loved cowboys and indians and john i mean billy's favorite actor is john wayne and it's like wow. uh he loves american westerns and all this kind of stuff so this you know history buff um and also, he's an incredibly intelligent guy. I, I, I will say a lot of the English guys that I've worked with, I don't know, something about their school system. They actually studied oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> My mom grew up there, and she goes on about this all the time. Yeah, something, totally. you know, they actually paid attention, whereas us Americans... <laughs> the, but the accent also boosts their intelligence 10%. It, it sounds right better. Yeah, yeah I trust the guy with an, with an English accent a lot more. Well, does he throw in, like, witty quips, though? Like, if he's in, like, Mississippi, like, just so you know, during the battle, blah, 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 in 1873. Like, absolutely. He does? Yeah, oh, that absolutely. makes me so excited. So, like, are you excited every night, like, when he throws in stuff, you're like, what crazy historical thing is he going to throw in about Tallahassee tonight? <laughs> well, he'll change lyrics uh, to, to uh, what's a great one? Uh, oh, oh, we, you know the song, To, to, to Be a Lover. Yeah, obviously. Uh, yeah, second Classic. line is, he always sings, forgot to, forgot to wear rubber. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me while I kiss this guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you kind of like, and he'll come up with difference. I mean, it's, it's great because it's nothing is scripted, man. It's, you know, uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's um, uh, 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 you know, I, we have a blast on stage. We really do. I know it's a job. I know it's. Uh, but what's know, it like on stage when you guys start? Like, what's the what's the environment? Like, you guys put on a show. Is it just yeah. a band on stage? Like, what goes on? Because like, I know you said that you're not like you're not the guy that chases Michael Jackson around, and we've established <laughs> that. Yeah. But yeah. like, you know, one thing that Dave Grohl said in, in the Foo Fighters um, thing that they did, which I thought was fantastic, was we went from playing a set to doing a show. <laughs> are we are you are you a show and if so where are you a show versus being a band yeah i mean we rely on stuff that's that's pertinent to the music that doesn't take away from it um this rear screen projections uh there's one song 
and uh, it's, it's, it was off the last record called Ghosts in My Guitar, and Billy's dad passed away, and the story that he told me his dad passed away while listening to this song. So we have images of his dad while we play, play this song, and he tells the whole story about his dad hated his music the whole, his whole life. Oh so, you know, it's, it's, yeah, and then finally accepts it, you know. So you got to pull on my heartstrings right now, because like, now I'm already like, dude, okay. please send our love to Billy, dude. So he, here's what happened, right? He and I decided to do a two-man show, and we booked a tour. <clears throat> and, um, and it was just the two of us on stage as a kind of duo to do it stripped down. This is right around the time his autobiography came out. So he's telling stories. It's an opportunity to tell the stories behind the songs and things that influence. And we got to this song and I had no idea he's going to talk about his dad passing away. And I'm sitting there and I'm getting choked up. I go, you bastard. Wow. You could have given me heads up. Because yeah. I'm like, then I got to start the intro to the song. And my hands are shaking. I'm right, like, yeah. Like, oh dude, <laughs> I wasn't, wow. you know. Um, so he, we don't, we, we have a no pyro rule. We don't do pyro. <laughs> we did a, <laughs> Metallica not, I, has taught us is there, something. Is there a story behind that? There must yeah. be a story here. <laughs> okay. Now, I like Nickelback. I think they make great records. I have nothing against them. But we did an outdoor show in the, and Nickelback went on it was us stone table pilots and nickelback nickelback mm -hmm. went on in the middle of the afternoon sunny california days 90 degrees out and they've got the pyro going off and it's <laughs> it's like oh my are gosh they, are they using pyro in the middle of the afternoon people right. are like sun tanning and yeah <laughs> and, uh, and billy says we're never going to use pyro <laughs> it's not for us <laughs> you don't need it <laughs> yeah. Well, we wow. you know whenever we sit down with our uh, lighting designer or whatever, we I always say, man, the best special effect we have is is the the chemistry between these mm -hmm. two guys. I mean, go to see the Stones, it, you know, it's Mick and Keith. It's like you know you don't really care about the lights and stuff. You just want those two guys to acknowledge you know and play that the, that music you know and and the fact that they're they're still doing it you know. Well, I mean, the question is though. Does anyone else on this podcast know who Bill Wyman is? Not you, Steve. Do you know who Bill Wyman is, Corey? Bass player for the Stones. Yay! We were joking. We were joking around. I was trying to figure out if that was a trick question or not. I was joking. No, I was joking around the other day because we we're, were saying like, uh, you know, does people know who Larry Mullen Jr. Because there's not many bass players that like you, you stick out like Steve Harris, Les Claypool, but it's like even the guy from the Stones, you're just talking about Mick and Keith. Like does Ronnie Wood, is he the chopped liver? Is, 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 you know, is Charlie Watts chopped liver? But like kinda, cause there's <laughs> well, Steve Stevens and Billy Idol. <laughs> I mean, it's always, there's always that, that thing. I mean, the guys who write the songs and the, you know, I mean, well, Dick I, Wagner was not Alice Cooper singing "Only Women Bleed." Right, right, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's just it's always that 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 you know, singer and guitar player next. I mean, it just goes way back to you know, like I said, you know, Elvis or uh, you know, it's just uh, you know, I think people like that. You, the guy's got he's got a sidekick. You know, it's you know whatever. Uh -huh. Sure. Lone Ranger and Tonto. It's chemistry too, you know, great songs and great chemistry. I think will always be the ultimate. SpongeBob so, and Squidward. You know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, I know, I know I can't wait to hear uh, the stuff you guys are working on now. Uh, it, it doesn't suck. It's pretty good. It doesn't man. suck. That's, that's a great, it's a great, it's a great, great bar to set. <laughs> the least worst, worst of Steve Stevens and Billy Idol. <laughs> well, yeah, we're coming up on the end of our, our second hour here. So Steve, that was amazing. 
Like, I just I just want to tell all of my friends yeah. that you should hire Steve <laughs> to send me messages <laughs> yes. on Cameo. Yeah, because like, if he doesn't Steve. get any, he'll know that like, he shouldn't come us, back yeah. on this podcast because no. he'll be like, no one even called me from that shit. They <laughs> call his manager like, what the fuck? I thought I was going to be heckling Benny all week. Now we need to get Scott to hire him like all week, just so yeah, you so, know, hint, so guys. Make sure you guys check out stevestevensguitar.com. Brand new website uh, up there. Uh, check out Steve on Cameo. Get a nice message. He has a new solo record coming out. Yeah. Uh, eventually, I'm not this year, but uh, before that, there'll be new Billy Idol stuff out. Yeah, which the obviously EP. we yeah. can't now, wait for. Quick question yeah. about that. So yeah. are you a, a guy now about just songs? Because I feel like the old school album where people listen from start to finish is mm -hmm. almost like a dinosaur like mm -hmm. idea. Do you feel like you do an EP in the sense that like you don't want to blow your load on, on 12 songs because nobody listens to 12 songs? There's two singles and they move on? Here's, here's my thought. When, 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 when albums were vinyl, they were 40 minutes. And, you know, you, you geared your record to. Not if you're Todd Rundgren. He'd go no. 52 minutes and fuck you. <laughs> and it sounded like shit. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you're exactly right. Um, and, and, uh, and I think records got, got too long. I couldn't last my way through a 12-song record. Nine songs. You know, all those Van Halen classic records. Like 35, 40 minutes. Um, you know, and I think that I, in my mind, I guess from my experience, you know, that's what records were. Um, I think records got too long. So, uh, you know, an album, 10 songs, I think that's, that's great. But I, I, I believe that the next idol stuff will be an EP. Well, if it makes right. you feel better, our first record was nine songs, our second record's eight songs, and now yeah. the third record's going to be seven songs. Yeah, but our songs yeah. are... Except they're all like 15 <laughs> minutes long. Yeah, but we're, so we're going up. with the yes thing. We're doing <laughs> the progressive thing where every song gets more grandiose. <laughs> so I we'll got no like, problem Tool. with that. I got yeah. no problem with that. Well, the, the, just, you know, the stuff you guys did with Black Light Syndrome. Your songs were 10 minutes long, but they're fucking awesome. <laughs> and then Terry Bozio's playing on four fucking kick drums simultaneously. Exactly. Like, what, what are you complaining about, assholes? <laughs> 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 True. Steve, I want to say thank you so much for coming on. Like, it's just, I, I'm not, if you didn't notice, not normally nervous, but I, I wrote pages of notes. I mean, oh, yeah, wow. here's yeah. like my notebook. I've got all of my notes. No, because oh, I didn't even know how to organize my thoughts <laughs> because there were so many things I wanted to ask you because most of these people have to pretend that I really like them. And in your case, I really like you. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate that. It's been a pleasure. No, thank yes. you. Yeah, we I mean, so interesting. Time. Such a, yeah, and, um, an amazing stories. Do me a favor and uh, when you email with my manager, send him some links so I can listen to you. Oh, music. absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're everywhere. We're, we're ubiquitous. Today, so. We're 2020-D.com. Apple Music, Spotify, we're everywhere. Okay. We're we're gonna be like like you know Motley Crue spreading their music in the eighties. Everywhere, <laughs> awesome, awesome, <laughs> man, awesome. Thank All you right, so much. Well, thank you so much. Okay, once right. again. And All ladies right, and gentlemen, listen to Steve Stevens. Check him out. Stay tuned with Billy Idol. Apparently coming out with the EP soon, and we have to bug him for the solo record. Go on to Steve Stevens. Guitar.com and have obviously calm about Cameo and Top Gun is being remade, so I guess they're using your songs again. Good luck for getting more credit on that. I want the Ferrari named Iceman. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com.